What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest CSG special. This is a Mortcast, and the, coming back for a return visit uh, is a good friend of mine, someone who I miss on the Nuggets beat, but is is thriving currently on the Broncos beat. Uh, my friend, who also is a fellow North Sider of Denver, woohoo! Uh, it is it is Nick Cosmiter. Hello, Mick. Yeah, how's it going, Jeff? Yeah, uh, newly newly crowned North Sider uh, since <laughs> since last May and. Wow. Yeah, weather's weather's nice up here. <laughs> it is. It's a it is a, a, a different experience. We take it slower up here than yeah. the south side of town. It's is what <laughs> I tell people. That's true. That is <laughs> that is very true. Um, you know, and we, everybody obviously in Denver jokes about the airport being, um, you know, 100 miles away or in Kansas, but uh, out here it just yeah, it's like a normal ride to the airport out here. So you know, there's perks to everything. So so wait, so you could I mean like like for me even for me it's a 25 minute. Uh, uh, trip but for you it's probably yeah. a lot it's a lot quicker and the, the, i mean you've had to go on these trips out of town i mean i'm sure that's so convenient yeah it's been great uh that, that's definitely been the plus it's probably like a, a 15 minute drive now and mm. um you know a big impediment uh when i was when i was living like in near washington park in denver um would be that if, if you wanted to take an uber to the airport which is obviously the most convenient thing right because you don't have to you don't have to park you don't have to do any of that stuff but it would cost like you know 60 70 dollars for a, a trip out to the airport and now that's you know that that's paid probably like 20 22 even with the inflation that we've obviously got going on so yeah that's that's the convenient aspect of it for sure oh man so uh no one came here to talk for for uh for nick and i to talk about uh location and macroeconomics but we they did <laughs> They did come to uh, uh, hear us talk about a couple things, but um, okay. Nick Cosmiter is from The Athletic, um, from The Athletic, he writes for The Athletic, and he writes about the Broncos. But um, as most of you know who are listening to this, uh, Nick uh, covered the uh, Denver Nuggets for both The Post and uh, The Athletic. So I want to get Nick's thoughts on what I think was maybe Nikola Jokic's best game of his career i mean i put it right up there with the clippers game seven uh yeah. again in the bubble which was a masterful just toying with him game this was different this was carry me on your back so when you're watching this game were you just did you have that did you have that feeling as someone who did cover Nikola Jokic that this was one of the best games you've ever seen yeah i did and, and i was even thinking about that as i was watching this game of like trying to catalog in my mind um you know some of the great games that he had you know there was uh Obviously, last year during the Blazers series, when he really had to carry him, there was a couple of games where he was just um, incredible. But I think what stuck out in this game to me, and, and this is, I mean, this is who Jokic is, right? The, the sort of do-it-all player. But we all know, Jeff, that this has been his, his best defensive season, uh, in addition to everything else that he's doing even more efficiently uh, on the offensive end. Um, and, you know, the play, right, you know, kind of in overtime, uh, it was like the second or third to last possession when here's a center who is essentially picking up, you know, picking up the pick and roll at half court. And, you know, the guard tries to thread a pass and, and he's just ripping guards at half court mm -hmm. and leading the break the other way. I thought, I thought that was a play that, you know, kind of got lost a little bit after he made that, you know, belongs in a museum kind of pass uh, to Gordon to win the game. Um, and that was just, it's, it's incredible to, to see him. He was just in such a zone, like, um, you know, I, I know in this day and age, you talk about, oh, is there such thing as a zone or a, a hot hand or anything like this? But he just seemed in a level of locked in that, that it was just truly remarkable. Um, and you saw it in the way that he reacted, right? Like his, his emotion, we don't often necessarily see him get 
um, that hyped up, especially during the regular season. And um, man, did he just have it going? And it was, it was a masterpiece. It was, it was beautiful to watch. Well, I've got a theory. I, his mom's here. So okay. I think, I think that had hyped him up a little bit because the, uh, he, he was definitely more emotional than you, you normally see him. One of the things about Nikola Jokic, I mean, in my view, and maybe you have the same feeling, is that um, uh, his steady pulse is really is the thing that sets him apart. He just never just he doesn't think the end of a game is a big deal. And that is one of the things that uh, Michael Porter Jr. said when he was on J.J. Reddick's podcast was about how he just is always the same. He just he doesn't deviate. He's just he's that he's always Nikola Jokic. And last night was a little different. You could just tell he was hyped up, even with that when Zubac was holding him. Yeah. Uh, when he did that drive and he's trying to get by him. And it's like, I don't think Nikola Jokic does that in the last game. I think he just accepts that uh, uh, Zubac is going to, to do that and like maybe back off a bit. But man, he drove through that, got yeah. the ball and drove to the cup. And I, I think. I, there was just, I don't know, to me, it just felt like there was just a little different last, something different last night. Yeah, it, it, I, I would agree with you. Or, or he may have just in that instance, either, you know, kind of waited till the foul or looked at the referee to kind of call the foul as Zubac was hanging on him um, or just stood there until he could get kind of that entry pass at the top of the arc. And uh, you're right. He just, he just, he's just in this mode and, and it's pretty incredible when you look at it. I mean, they're 23 and 20. Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of right in the thick of it in that five, six area in the Western conference, mm -hmm. um, as of right now in good shape to, to avoid the play-in, um, with, with the hope that they'll get Jamal Murray or Michael Porter back at some point, uh, maybe just before the playoffs. Although obviously we don't have any kind of firm timeline on that, but again, just to see the way that he has taken so much more, uh, upon his shoulders and done so willingly done so without complaint done so while, you know, taking all the accountability, um, even when clearly, you know, he's never the pro problem. I mean, this would be a team right now that would be lucky to have won, you know, what, 12 games by now, mm -hmm. uh, if, he, if he weren't playing. So yeah, I agree with you. I think he, he, he's been like that in general, that kind of taking more on, but last night, I think you saw it even more and yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe mom in town, uh, it, it gave him a little extra edge. Maybe it was the, uh, you know, his finding out about the, uh, the horse that Nuggets fans have, have a therapy horse that Nuggets fans have sponsored in his name. Um, right. You know, whatever the case might be, but man, it's just, it's just so darn fun to watch. And I, I mean, I obviously do miss being on that beat. I've, I've really enjoyed covering the Broncos. It's been, it's been a fun experience the last couple of years, especially this past year, kind of getting through some of the COVID, <clears throat> some of the COVID restrictions, but <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> Excuse. I took just, a sip of coffee. Oh, <laughs> took, a, took a sip of coffee that went sideways. Oh man, uh, I, 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 are you okay? Are you okay? I am. I'm good. I'm okay. Here. Good. I'm good. Okay. But what I was gonna say is, it's just been neat <laughs> to kind of watch him in a different light. Um, to kind of just get to sit back and watch him as a fan, really, uh, has been pretty incredible. Well, I, you know, it, one of the things that is. Uh, I've noticed like with his evolution is he has been able to accept that playing in the NBA is not the same as playing in Europe, which is the, one of the hardest things for European players to do. I think Luka Doncic was kind of ready-made for the NBA. He kind of had that LeBron thing going for him, but a lot of different European players uh, struggle with the, the, what they perceive as selfish play. 
in the NBA. And I think once Jokic understood the rhythm of the game, and once he understood that he needed to score, um, he became a much different player. He became a, a, a prototypical take it over NBA superstar who does everything else in a, in a, in a, just a spectacularly different way. And, you know, you, you started covering Jokic, I think in his second year, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah. Yep. I arrived during the, the 2016, 17 season. So yep. During his second year, yeah. I think I came onto the beat, like, um, you know, in, in like just a week or two after, uh, Jokic day, December 15th, Oh, that's um, right. That's right. 2016. So, um, yeah, yeah. I'd like, I'd like to say I was there for pretty close to the start of it all. Obviously he played well as a rookie. He did some things as a rookie, um, you know, that made him ex- made the nuggets excited about what his potential could be. Um, but yeah, that, that second year is when it really started to blossom. I'll never forget the game against the Laker. I mean, I'm sorry, against the, the Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to say that it was, it was either late February or early March of 2017, um, the Nuggets are kind of hanging in that playoff race, as you know. Ultimately, they finished um, finished just outside of it, but mm-hmm. they're they're hosting the Cavs, and uh, there's a possession late in the game where uh, Nuggets have a slim lead, and uh, you know LeBron James draws uh, uh, Nikola Jokic draws LeBron James in the post, and just kind of goes to work on him, you know, pirouetting, uh, fakes left, fakes right, and, and and ends up bearing a soft hook over LeBron James, and afterwards he says like completely non-plus he says that's a you know that's a mismatch for us and to me that was just like it wasn't even ego for him obviously it was Mm -hmm. it was him just saying like I understood like what my team needed in that moment and I think that speaks to kind of what you're saying of his evolution in that regard of just being like I think each year he takes he he gains a better understanding of just how pivotal he is and and you're right I I think that the unique thing about NBA uh, is especially in late moments, especially in clutch moments. I think over in Europe, um, you just kind of keep playing the game the same way uh, throughout. But in the NBA, it's it's very much becomes this this game at the end of close contests where the stars have to do it. They have to be the ones that go finish the game. Um, so I think you're totally right on that. And he's just kind of gotten more and more. I mean, he's always been been clutch. He's always come up big in those moments. But you just kind of see that evolution of him just being even more dominant, even more self-assured uh in those in those late end of game moments well you've uh, you've been watching the nba for a long time uh and i i've been thinking about this lately and after last night i kind of want to put this in context the most dominant year for center i ever saw was shaquille o'neal in 2000 which was just insane i've never seen anything like that um the guy and then he got into the playoffs and was doubly more dominant it, it was just the single most dominating year i've seen personally from my 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 view uh and then Hakeem Olajuwon in 94 and all that stuff but yeah but this is close and it's so different and it's hard for me to contextualize it because he uh there's a lot of attributes that Jokic shares with Shaquille O'Neal and I pointed this out a lot um the NBA changed the rules because of Shaquille O'Neal they couldn't officiate him correctly and I'm wondering if Jokic is having the same effect on the NBA because as you know the Nuggets complain about the uh, him being fouled constantly and rightfully so he the the marks on his arm display exactly how how much he gets fouled and I'm wondering if there will eventually be an adjustment 
back to to the way uh, to to adjust to the way Jokic plays, because it is so fascinating to watch someone play for the center position like him and have all those great post moves and all that stuff that he does, and yet still dominate the way the, the way he does. I can't. I'm having trouble contextualizing just what we're seeing. Yeah, it's it's a great point, and I I think I saw this from. Um, you know, Andy Glockner, who's, you know, uh, you know, longtime sports writer and, mm-hmm. and uh, lives in Denver now. Uh, and he, he had it mentioned really well, because obviously last night, um, and I don't want to get into this reductive conversation about Jokic versus Embiid, because mm-hmm. I, I think it's silly. And it's just like, enjoy both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but one of the things notice is like, yo, Embiid's game in terms of his dominance when he's scoring 50 points. Um, yeah, I mean, he obviously shoots a heck of a lot more uh, than Shaq did, or even, you know, Elijah Wan did in terms of perimeter shooting. Uh, but, but he also has that sort of throwback, um, big physical kind of attributes that, that we think of when we think of, you know, prototypical centers. Um, but Jokic to your point is every bit as, as dominating. It just looks different. And, um, he, he, he certainly, I, I think because he's such a great passer, because he's, um, you know, a, a skilled ball handler who, who, I mean, just, just such a skilled player in general. Um, I think it does get overlooked that he's also just as physical and strong um, really as any of those guys are. And, and that, that's to me, when that becomes a part of his game, when he wants it to, this kind of goes back to our conversation about, um, you know, sort of his, his awareness in finishing games in whatever way he's got to do it. Uh, that is an area where I think uh, he sometimes get overlooks that he is just, um, you know, a strong dude who can get to where he needs to get to on the court, um, you know, by force. And then from there kind of do it in all these different ways um, that, that, that a lot of other centers don't do, but it's, it's equally dominating. It's just aesthetically uh, so different and, and where it goes from there in terms of how he gets officiated or, or what the evolution is for players coming up behind him. That's going to be fascinating to watch because you're right. I, I think he's going to be changing the game in much the same way that Shaq did. Cause I I'm with you. I, I was a, you know, I was a teenager in, in 2000 was a big Shaq fan, um, you know, at the time and just remember watching it's, he got it in the post and it was over. Um, that's sort of the feeling of inevitability that, that comes with Jokic getting the ball late in games now. And it's, it's been wild to watch. Well, I, Maybe I, 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 this is actually a high compliment for me. Okay. Embiid reminds me of Patrick Ewing with a three point shot because mm-hmm. Ewing was a face the basket center. Yeah. And very much um, uh, Embiid is a face the basket center, but he has Ewing's drop step, which was deadly. Uh, one of the best drop steps I ever saw was Patrick Ewing, but he also shoots threes, which mm-hmm. expands his game out all, so much more. Plus, he can defend the rim. Jokic has so many different elements of other guys. You can, like I said, you, you got Shaq. You got he doesn't do the face up dream shake stuff, but he can drive the basket. He does. Uh, he has a great sweet shot, and people are don't. This is a, a another one thing that's a compliment for me. Uh, Rick Smith was one of the sweetest shooting centers I ever saw. And when he put a shot up like that, it was, it was sweet, but he didn't expand it out like Jokic. The, what I'm, the point I'm making, I guess, is that the, there's so many other elements of what Jokic does that is hard for me to categorize him in a, in a box him in, but I can more easily categorize Joel Embiid, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I, and I think that, um, 
you know, and, and the cool part about it with Jokic is I talked about it a little bit at the top of just like how his defensive game has expanded to, you know, to where he's, I mean, you, you saw him draw Reggie Jackson, um, you know, out on the top, like he, he's, he's holding his own when he gets switched into these, um, you know, kind of pick and roll torture chambers, which was just like, you know, it was instant, uh, just sort of, um, failure, torture, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> torture whatever you, whatever you failure, torture, yeah. um, you know, whatever kind of embarrassing words you want to use for how it went for him in those situations early in his career. And, and to me, you know, look like, I think you talk a lot about Embiid and, and these go back to just sort of the general ways that we think about the game. And this is just, I think I, and I, all of this stuff is evolving and people are kind of coming around to understanding just all the different ways you can dominate. But when we talk about defense and beats thing, as you mentioned, he protects the rim. That looks like what we've always thought a center to be right. Is that guy who can just, mm-hmm. um, you know, thwart shots away at the rim, but that's just not how the game uh, is played. So much of playing defense now is, um, you know, awareness, um, anticipation, uh, that that's where Jokic is a just really good defender. I mean, just his anticipation for what you're going to do. The steal at half court was the perfect example. That is like the most frustrating play as a guard that you could have. Like, I just felt, was it Jack? I can't, I can't remember who, who the, who the one was that gave that pass away, Bledsoe. but like it was Bledsoe. And, mm-hmm. and you just have that, you just know that frustration, right. Where you're just like, I cannot believe he just like reached down and stole that pass, but that's, that goes back to his anticipation defensively. And so that's, yeah, I mean, that, that's all part of it to me too, that he continues to just add, add to his arsenal. Well, the last, the last nuggets related question, and uh, thank you, Nick, for indulging me in nuggets talk to to start this um, is I, I, what, where do you see this team going? Like, because Jamal, you brought it up earlier, Jamal and Mike, Michael Porter Jr. coming back is going to greatly influence the trajectory of this season's team. I've, I mean, coming after Mike's back surgery, which I I was been telling people for two months, it wasn't as serious as people were making it out to be. And I stand by that. Uh, anything with a back is serious, but it wasn't, it was just to relieve pain. Um, so the, the doom saying based on Mike's surgery was getting a little ridiculous. I've always been relatively, they just got to survive until these guys are able to come back or, a, you know, to build a full rotation. Now that they brought Bryn Forbes in um, and may or may not bring in DeMarcus Cousins, I think they will. Um, is there a, to like, do you view this team a little differently now uh, even based on last night's game than you did, and with the information about the injuries, than you did, say, even two, three weeks ago. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think that my um, my colleague John Hollinger wrote a piece um, examining the trade, um, the, the three-team trade with the Spurs and Celtics the other day. And he said, you know, the biggest part of that was that the Nuggets, um, while Bryn Forbes is not going to be some gigantic ceiling raiser, what that showed is they're certainly believing that if they can continue to hold water, which there's no indication um, that they won't so long as Nikola Jokic is on the floor, right. um, then, then they believe that they can make a run for this thing. I mean, you, you look at, you look at the conference right now, and um, certainly there are some teams playing well. There's some teams that would be, um, you know, really tough outs in, in the playoffs that would give, um, you know, the nuggets, everything, but mm-hmm. like, again, th- they've been there before they have the experience, they have the best player on the planet. Um, and you throw that together and you say, why can't we go into this 
you know, March, April thinking that, Hey, we can get something going. We can have a shot at this thing. And um, to, to consider all that they've gone through uh, it, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. So I, I think if you're a Nuggets fan, you have to be pretty optimistic in that sense. Um, even if it, even if some of that optimism it has to be cautious, just due to, you don't know when these guys are going to come back and whether that's going to be enough of a ramp um, to get to the kind of, you know, chemistry uh, that they need to be at when the playoffs start. Well, uh, Nick gets the last word on the Nuggets there. And uh, once again, thank you for indulging me there, man. Um, <laughs> and uh, before we get to no, the- I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I wanted to make you uh, like get that misty-eyed nostalgia like I get. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what it is, man. I just, <laughs> it's, it's just always been a fun, fun organization to cover. Um, and, and certainly, you know, fun, uh, a fun fan base that, that is always engaging. And so that that's always made it fun. But like I said, get to be a little bit more of a fan now, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Well, uh, before we uh, start to uh, talk about uh, uh, Nick's beat, specifically the wacky, zany, crazy world of the Denver Broncos, I got to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, we're into the divisional round of the NFL playoffs and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner in the NFL, is celebrating it with huge odds boosts for new customers. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, you can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? You can still get in and on the action with same-game parlays. These are really fun. Uh, I know a lot of friends who go in and bet on these same-game parlays. They love them. Um, they also love the multi-game parlays. It's really a way for me to make your money stretch and get a big payday. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code MHS for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, new restrictions apply. See directkings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem called 1 800 522 4700. Okay, we are back. Um, and uh, Nick had just had to listen to my uh, my Sunday, Sunday, Sunday voice, which is uh, uh, I, I, I break that one out only for ads. Um, I the Broncos, I, I, I don't know, know where to start with what's going on with the Broncos right now. So let me just throw this to you. Um, the, I, I think the looking at the coach and then getting a quarterback and finding a new owner, just in my own view, it's, it's it, until you get a new owner, you're never sure how the, the direction of the, of the, the franchise and it seems like it should be owner, coach, QB, but it seems to me like it's going to be coach, QB, owner, basically, by the time we, we roll into the season. Um, just as a 10,000-foot view, Nick, I, I, how is your view of what's going on right now? And do you think that what, what's happening, the chaos of this offseason due to a multitude of factors, uh, is something that could be sustained? Um, can be like a ship riding moment for the Broncos? Well, if they get it right, it certainly can be um, because you have, as you mentioned, so many of these different components that are going to be coming into the picture 
that are new. Um, there's going to be a new head coach. Uh, there is going to be uh, a new quarterback. Almost certainly they're going to have the sixth different starting quarterback in six years, which is just incredible. Hmm. Um, and they're going to have a new owner uh, for the first time since 1984. And so uh, if they get those things right or get maybe two out of the three of those things right, um, then they can certainly be on a path to um, writing themselves. Um, and let, let's throw obviously offensive coordinator uh, into the mix too, if they don't hire a coach that's going to um, call his own plays on offense, then certainly the the offensive coordinator they hire will be an important part of the process as well. So there is just um, a tremendous amount of change that is about to happen, um, which again, that gives you the chance to get it right, but it also gives you the chance to um, you know, kind of slip further into this mode where you are, um, you know, you're kind of continuously changing things. I mean, obviously they've had, um, you know, since the Super Bowl, this is their third coaching. Uh, this, I guess this will be their fourth different head coach since the Super Bowl because Gary Kubiak coached the 2016 season before stepping away. Then you had Vance Joseph and Vic Fangio who went a combined um, three and 51 in five seasons. And so now you're going to have uh, coach number four since the Super Bowl. Um, that's just a lot of change. And then you add into all the quarterbacks they've had. Uh, they've mm -hmm. now had two general managers during that stretch. Um, so I, I guess the, the optimist's view would be that, hey, George Payton, if you, if you trust in what he's doing, which I think a lot of the people in the league look highly upon how he's gone about his first year in that seat, um, then you say, hey, that's a good place to start. We trust that he's uh, in this head coaching process, doing it in a way that is that is thorough and it's going to lead toward uh, that, 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 the, that the process is going to lead toward a good outcome. Um, but the, uh, I, I guess the sort of, I don't want to say pessimist view, but sort of like wait and see view would be that, hey, this is a lot of different pieces that are going to have to come together. And, and it might be a little sort of uh, naive to think that it's all going to happen real quickly. Well, I, I always assumed, and not as someone who not doesn't cover the Broncos, but is a fan, I always assumed that Elway and Ellis gave Peyton the, the six-year deal to ride him through the ownership change if possible and to make sure that he had the freedom to make the moves that he needed to make which is why coming into this offseason uh, obviously he despite whatever favorable opinion he had of uh, Vic Fangio uh, Vic Fangio needed to go because it was it was time and that was and Vic, Vic Fangio was the last really remnant of the Elway uh, regime major decisions and coming to coach how do you think they are looking at this because obviously dan quinn is looking to be the front runner but he's the front runner for a lot of different jobs in the nfl right now so when you look at this is is there a dan is it the dan quinn type that the that the broncos are specifically looking for well i, I think the, the one thing, and, and George Payton was, I think, purposefully limited in, in terms of laying out the scope of the search and what exactly it was that he was looking for. Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing that he kept coming back to uh, was leadership. And that is, of course, a sort of um, wide-ranging, nebulous word that can mean a lot of different things. Uh, but I think in this instance, what, what George Payton means it to mean is somebody who is going to kind of, I, I, I think, lay a foundation in which um, player and coach relationship uh, is an important part of the process that, um, you know, that, that coach, the coach who is in that seat is going to be, um, I think, player centric 
and and I think our big reason for that is that one of the things that have that has failed the Broncos over the last three years during the Fangio era was this inability to shake loose from from these losing streaks, right? From right. from adversity that hit. Um, you know, they would lose three, four games in a row at various points in the season, and it would just torpedo any hope you would have of getting to the playoffs. And, and part of that, I think, is it was sort of this idea that when they got into these modes, um, there, w- there was something lost in translation in terms of a coaching staff and players coming together to figure out how to get out of it. And so to me, that's what he's looking for in this. Um, you know, that, that's something that uh, by all accounts you hear with, with D- Dan Quinn and in his past, having that connection with players that would allow, uh, that would facilitate that kind of idea that, hey, we can, we can work through this thing with with communication with understanding one another um so i think that's the general part of it um now obviously it's it's kind of been put out there that quinn is the front runner from what i have heard um you know they they really haven't made decisions in this yet that that mm-hmm. george payton really is being true to what is a very thorough process in terms of interviewing 10 different candidates um and, and i think too if you went if, if it was really let locked down one or two guys they wouldn't be you know flying across the country twice over uh, to sit down and really get a feel for these guys. And so that, that to me, I, while Quinn might end up getting this job um, if, for a lot of different reasons, uh, you know, his relationship with Peyton is obviously there. It's been established over the last, you know, 10 years, uh, 10, 15 years. Um, his experience as a guy who's led a team to a Super Bowl, um, who, who had a winning record in five seasons as an NFL head coach, who's worked for some really successful coaches, all those things could lead him to getting the job. Um, but if he does, if he does get the gig, it will only be after they, they kind of really, I think, put, put a real thorough effort into this process. Uh, you know, I, one thing, when you were talking there, you, you spurred something in my, my mind about this and, and, and there's no way you could know this, but that just on a speculations point, how much do they have to sell um, these coaches on the fact that really the Broncos don't have a quarterback and how difficult does that make uh, recruiting for a job like this, unless, unless you could tell them, look, we'll eventually get it figured out. How much does the lack of, of definitive quarterback, which has been obvious, even going back to the end of last off season, um, how much of that is, is, is going to be a factor in your mind, at least on, on how they can pitch to these uh, various, um, uh, head coaching, uh, candidates. Yeah, it's a great question. And I actually think that that probably is the, the biggest challenge that they have in terms of like uh, putting their vacancy up against some of the others in the league. Although obviously a lot of these other jobs that have come open, um, part of the reason they are is because their quarterback play uh, hasn't really been up to par. Like, um, you know, if you take that Giants job, you're inheriting Daniel Jones, but is he really going to be the future of the quarterback uh, position for you? Uh, the Bears are taking over. Um, a guy that was drafted in the first round last year in Justin Fields, but uh, I think the book is still out on whether he's going to be a successful NFL quarterback. So I think to, to, to large degrees, if outside of maybe the, the Vikings who could just stick with Kirk cousins and, and kind of automatically give that coach a, um, you know, a, a above average quarterback uh, situation to start his tenure um, at, all the rest of them have some uncertainty, but certainly none more so than the Broncos. So I, I would, I would say that that is, uh, something that they have to be able to answer to with these candidates. And, and part of what I wonder, and it is speculation because we, we, you know, we're not in these meetings, we mm-hmm. haven't been able to get a full feel for this, but I do wonder whether 
um, some of these candidates who they're, they're, they're serious about potentially hiring are being given some of the information in terms of, hey, this is really what we think we're going to be able to do with the quarterback position this offseason. Um, because if, if you have a real plan that you feel pretty confident is going to work and you have a candidate that you really like that, that is probably getting some attention uh, uh, from, from elsewhere, which is the case for Quinn, is, is the case for Nathaniel Hackett, Kevin O'Connell, Kellen Moore, all these guys that they're interviewing, um, then you're probably probably going to want to let them in on at least at least to a uh, degree in which you can feel comfortable um, about what is going to happen with the quarterback situation. So I agree. I think that is more of a roadblock than having to explain to these candidates uh, what the ownership ownership situation is, um, because I think that's been I think that's been overblown in large part because an owner that's going to come in right now is going to have to pay, you know, four billion dollars. So that's going to be the asking price. Maybe maybe that person is, is putting up half and uh, whatever the case might be, but, but this is a person that's making a ginormous investment uh, into this organization and all what they're going to want to do with that is, is win. Um, you know, that that's what they're going to want to do early on. And so if you're a coach that comes in and, and you're winning, you're going to get on a good foot with that owner. If you're not, you're going to probably not stick around, but that is, that is, that is the reality of the NFL irrespective of the ownership situation, right? Some, mm-hmm. some ownership situations stick with their coaches longer than others. The Vikings, the Vikings, for example, which is why that position is probably pretty attractive, but by and large, if, if by your third year, you haven't reached the playoffs or you're not showing, um, you know, a, a, a real solid trend upward, then you're going to, you're going to be out. That's just the way that it goes. So to me that, that doesn't, the ownership situation, uh, if I'm a head coach and looking to get hired by the Broncos, I'm not really scared off by that ownership situation because I think that somebody's going to come in, they're going to buy it, they're going to give you every chance that you need to succeed because they're going to invest a lot of resources right away into their uh, into their investment, and um, and so that to me is not going to be an issue. You're you're if you win, you're going to be beloved by this new owner. If you don't, you're going to be out. But that's the reality of the league anyway. Um, uh- Keep uh, the ownership thing in mind, because at the end, I want to talk about something specific as it relates to the Nuggets history. But on the quarterbacks and the coach, um, O'Connell intrigues me quite a bit. But isn't the problem with O'Connell McVay? Didn't he block him, I think, last year from from taking a job? Well, he... Yeah. So, so last year, Kevin O'Connell was the offensive coordinator with the Rams um, Mm -hmm. just as he is this year, he's in his second year in that job. And when Brandon Staley, uh, who was the the Rams defensive coordinator got hired to be the head coach of the chargers, he tried to bring, um, uh, he tried to bring O'Connell along to be his offensive coordinator. Oh God. Um, You know, Sean McVay blocked that because um, you know, you can, right. Uh, That's, that, that's considered a lateral move. Uh, even though the, the the rules on that are a little bit murky because he was going to be stepping into a play calling um, situation with the Chargers, whereas he's not calling the plays for the Rams because that's McVay's job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he blocked it and and in doing so kind of promoted him into a role in which he has a little bit more um, kind of say in some of the play calling aspects of the offense. Um, so, but that being said, he cannot be blocked from obviously moving into a head coaching role. So if he, right. if he was the candidate, for a head coaching job, um, then then certainly there would be nothing that the Rams could or would want to do. I mean, these guys, they, they want their assistants ultimately uh, to become head coaches if, if that's a path that they can get on. Um, so I think it'd be a situation. And, and the other thing of it is that they might not block him again um, after two years if he has an opportunity. Say, say, the, say the Broncos hired Dan Quinn, but they really like 
uh, Kevin O'Connell as a guy that can come in and, and resurrect their offense. And, you know, maybe you give him play calling duties, you give him an assistant head coach title. Well, now that's, that's kind of a promotion to which the Rams say, okay, that's not a lateral move. We can't mm-hmm. really block you or, or maybe we shouldn't block you. Um, and after two years, you know, kind of go ahead and take that promotion. So that's the part of it. I, I don't think that, that getting blocked um, is really like a concern for, for a lot of these candidates that the Broncos are interviewing are interviewing if they ultimately maybe wanted to look at them as an offensive coordinator, because a lot of them, Brian Callahan, um, you know, Luke Getze, we mentioned Kevin O'Connell, these guys aren't calling plays right now. So if they became coordinators for the Broncos, um, you know, that, that would be a promotion, but, but I do think that a lot of these guys are being looked at, um, you know, as head coaching candidates, because look, uh, you know, McVay was, became a, a head coach with the Rams after one season of being or two seasons of being an offensive coordinator uh, in Washington. So, you know, that that's sort of the way that you have to do it. Now, if you think that one of these young guys um, has that potential to be a dynamic head coach, you really can't wait um, because you might miss the boat. So mm-hmm. that, that's another interesting aspect of it. Well, uh, I kind of wanted to, and before I get to the owner talk, I kind of want to mention Eric the enemy. Um, I do. I, uh, my mom's an alum. I, I do know a lot of people up there. And one of the, I always theorized that um, Biennemi was a, had a controversial two stints as an assistant coach up at TU. And I always felt that that probably was influencing some lack of movement towards hiring him, him as a, uh, as head coach. But do you think enough time has passed and he has gained enough, uh, in, you know, clout with being with Andy Reid for as long as he has. Do you think that he has he would be able to overcome that um, in maybe a, if not a Bronco sense, maybe an overall uh, head coaching opportunity sense? Well, you know, I think time will tell. He, Eric Bieniemy has obviously had um, head coaching interviews in these last few cycles, right? Um, and it is interesting to me that, uh, you know, he's, he's had, he's kind of had fewer, right? This year, the Broncos um, are the only known interview request that got submitted uh, to meet with Eric Bieniemy. So, um, you know, it, has there been something throughout this process that, that has, that has held him up? It's just something that we don't, we don't fully know, right? right. Um, right. You know, is it, is it that, is it something about the interview process? Is it something to do with, um, you know, teams just not being sure, how much of Kansas City's success offensively uh, he he attributes to, which of course the Chiefs um, you know go out of their way to say that that you know very little of it would be possible without his contributions. Mm-hmm. Um, th- those things are just it's just hard to quantify, and that's what's interesting about a lot of these searches. Um, you know, a lot of the, you you interview a lot of these young coordinators because they're they're doing really well um, producing offenses with really good quarterbacks, right? Like. Brian Callahan has Joe Burrow, um, who already looks like one of the league's best quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kevin O'Connell has has helped resurrect the offense for the Rams this year, and, but that's with the help of, of Matthew Stafford, who, who is one of probably the top 10 best quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. Kellen Moore um, ha- has been able to, to build something pretty special in Dallas uh, with the help of Dak Prescott. You know, mm-hmm. so the kind of the list goes on, and it's always difficult to separate and say, okay, well, if this coordinator – is coming over to be a head coach doesn't have that quarterback to work with. Um, you know, how do we, how do we separate what he's doing to contribute to an operation versus how much of that is simply because 
you know, the quarterback that's kind of taken that from him is, is just a special player. Um, and it, and is creating a lot of things on his own. That that's to me, what is part of the Eric Bieniemy sort of, um, you know, dilemma, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, but I, I would certainly hope that the Broncos, you know, obviously have done their due diligence in terms of, you know, learning what it is about his past, because obviously you hire, you hire somebody like that. All that stuff will, will come, come up. We saw it with Chauncey Billups when he mm. got hired by the trailblazers. So th- those things always, um, you know, come to light. So they have to feel comfortable with, with all of that part of it. Um, but I, I think it, even more importantly, is just, um, again, extrapolating that from what you've done in Kansas city versus, okay, how would you do it here? And, and we just don't know like what teams have kind of gleaned from interviews with him. And, and I'll certainly be interested and be working to find out, um, exactly how his interview with the Broncos goes and, and, and what they gleaned from it. Well, I always said that, uh, uh, Peyton Man- or uh, Adam Gase looked completely different without Peyton Manning. <laughs> yeah, no, certainly. I mean, it, and then the list goes on, like, right. I mean, you, you've seen, um, you know, Josh McDaniels could be another example. Obviously his, his tenure in Denver was, uh, was a disaster for a mm-hmm. lot of different reasons. Um, but you go from coaching Tom Brady to not having um, kind of a quarterback really in that realm. And, and all of a sudden uh, it, it looks a whole heck of a lot different. And so, mm-hmm. Uh, that that's to me again an interesting part of it that, I think that's one of the things that that made McVay so appealing was that they created this this really dynamic offense uh, in Washington and, and and he was able to kind of um, sort of show his acumen for that side of the ball without having an elite quarterback and, and then obviously he turned he did the same thing as the head coach and play caller for the Rams uh, with Jared Goff before finally deciding you know was able to get a guy uh, like Jared Goff to help get them to the Super Bowl um, before realizing that like it to ultimately get where they were going to go. Um, they, they had to upgrade that spot. So it, to me, the, the coach quarterback uh, coach play caller relationship uh, is so important that um, again, when, when you're analyzing candidates for these various jobs, knowing how they're going to be able to do that job without that specific quarterback and how they can, fit you know a, a different guy into that same system is, is such a big part of figuring out whether they can lead your team yeah and i to to segue into um leading the team via the ownership um uh, i just to give you a small anecdote uh, through nuggets history um there's good there's there's a quick sale and then there's what happened to the nuggets in the late 90s which they went through like four different owners uh, all potentially buying the team and it was complete chaos. And I think to a, 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 a lesser extent, that's what the Broncos have been going through the last couple years with, with just this chaos going on, Beth Bolin, uh, Brittany Bolin, the trust, all this stuff is a, is a microcosm of what uncertain ownership can do. And you don't want to be where the Nuggets were for three years, where they were one of the worst teams in basketball. And uh, they, they had like, at one time, they had three different owners at the same time. And it was insane. I've never seen anything like that. And I hope to never see that again. But yeah. the, um, the, the Broncos, how much do you think that having, regardless of who it is, having a steady ship just from an ownership sense that with the Nuggets that the Broncos haven't had since 2000. Well, let's let's face it. Uh, Pat Bolin has been there, but not there. And then he stepped away full, uh, fully. I think it was 2014. So 
they really and haven't had Peyton this. Manning was there to, uh, and Peyton Manning was yeah. there in 2004. I mean, I think that's the thing too. So much of, so much of the things that were maybe, um, you know, kind of getting lost with, when ownership went into this sort of, um, you know, gray area, I guess we could call it. Um, so much of that was covered up by uh, Peyton Manning's sort of singular um, brilliance in terms of raising everybody around him in that, in that organization. And mm -hmm. So, but, but now they're, they're obviously, I, I think you have since, since he left, you've certainly seen, um, you know, the gaps and, and it's not, it's not because of, you know, any kind of lack of resources. Uh, I mean, look at George Payne, he's flying, <laughs> they, they've, they've crisscrossed the country like four times on this, on this search, mm -hmm. um, you know, by private jet. They're not, they're, it, it, they're not by any, they haven't become a, a penny pinching operation or, or anything like that. The resources that they give to you know, to their coaches, to their staff, to do the things that they need to do um, is still, you know, top of the line. Uh, but you just, without that kind of one commanding presence, um, you, you just tend to, I think, um, you tend to miss things. And so I think for the Broncos, this has to be looked at as an opportunity, um, you know, to, to kind of fill that void. Now, it, it's going to be, as my colleague Dan Kaplan reported several months ago, it's most likely going to be an auction sale. Um, so this thing really is going to come down to who, you know, which, uh, you know, uh, successfully vetted, uh, you know, bidder produces the biggest bid. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that's how it's going to happen. Um, but again, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier is that you just, for that kind of investment, um, you know, you just don't see somebody coming in here that's not going to be um, really dedicated to uh, being involved in a way that, that, I think the franchise needs and that the franchise that the people that, that cheer for this franchise in this region uh, want it to be. Well, uh, just to kind of, to kind of bring the horse into the stall with all of this, with the Broncos is, is do you have a gut feeling? I'm not asking you to uh, make a prediction, but do you have a gut feeling about how the, the ownership thing is something that is unpredictable and is on the NFL's timeline, but as far as coaching, basically, this kind of a, an understanding of who the QB will be. Do you think that we will know something, you know, they can't even, I don't, I think free agency begins in what, February, late February. Uh, free agency begins in, in March, March yeah. now. Oh my God. Yeah. They've yeah, moved the timeline on me. Um, <laughs> they, so by March, do you think we'll have coach QB owner? Or do you think that uh, we'll still be just maybe just only have a coach by that point? Well, yeah, we will have the coach. I think the coach will, I think we'll know at some point early next week who the head coach is going to be for the Broncos, which it will be obviously the first uh, of several important offseason steps that they have to take. Um, it, yeah. Come, come March. I think the Broncos hope that the quarterback is in place by then, because I think that if they have a quarterback before free agency begins, um, again, that won't be official because the new, new league year doesn't start till March. And so they can't officially make a trade until then, but it'll be known that they'll want it to be known who the quarterback is by then, because that will mean that they have executed uh, a trade uh, for somebody 
uh, you know, substantial, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if Aaron Rodgers is to decide that he wants to leave Green Bay, um, he's going to come here and, and finish his career the way that Peyton Manning did, um, you know, then that would probably be done sometime in February or, or early March. Uh, a trade like that would probably happen. It's, it's what we saw with Matthew Stafford last year. Um, so, so that, that would be the hope. But I think ultimately, again, the likelihood that one of those guys is going to come here, I, I, try, I just kind of try to keep telling everybody, I, I think, I just think it's small. Um, mm-hmm. Ultimately, a lot of these grievances that these quarterbacks have, it's the one position where they, they tend to stay put for the majority of their careers. And I think, I think that's what we'll see with both Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. And if one of them does decide to leave, the Broncos are not the only suitor. There's going to be many other teams making that bid, uh, make, you know, working to, to try to land that trade. Um, and so just the odds would suggest that it's, it's not going to happen. And so if, if that's the case, I don't think this team is going to really look for a quarterback in free agency. That's anything other than, you know, a bridge, maybe a guy to start the season while they bring along a rookie quarterback. Um, and as far as the ownership thing that could get done potentially by, um, by the owners meetings in, in late March. Now we don't know for sure. Uh, one of the things about the head coaching situation getting settled is that Joe Ellis has said, after that gets done, we're going to come out and make an announcement about the ownership situation. And we all expect that that's going to be, Hey, the Broncos are for sale. Here's how the process is going to look. Um, And by then we'll have a much better timeline of how the rest of it's going to go. But um, I I don't think all the pieces will be in place in March. It'd be, it'd be nice if they were, because that would give the Broncos a lot of lead up to, you know, to, to the rest of the season, it would give them some clarity about what they're doing with the draft, but it just hasn't quite been that easy for, for Denver. Um, right. And so I, I would hesitate to think that it's going to be quite that smooth, but, but we'll have a, we'll have a head coach uh, for the Broncos next week. And, and that'll be a good place to start. Well, yeah. And, and I would say, I keep, and I'm just speaking for Jeff here. I, I'm trying to Jeff, the Broncos fan, I'm trying to imagine George Payton, you know, pitching these, these uh, head coaching candidates on look, uh jimmy garoppolo plus this defense and then like i i just i just don't see how that would be successful but i am a fan i don't look at it the same way so um i I think the the other part of it too is i think i think coaches generally know they're not they're rarely do you get to walk into a perfect situation right because if, if if what you were walking into was a perfect situation um there wouldn't have been a change in the first place and um and so obviously the the roster in, in terms of the, the teams that have openings, the Broncos probably have the best top to bottom roster outside of the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that's a huge part of the puzzle. Um, but, but they, while they still need a lot, they need a lot of improvements. They, they need some improvements on the offensive line uh, mm-hmm. on both lines. They, they need, they need better pass rush help. Um, there's things that they still need to do to better the roster. Um, it's, it's a solid foundation. And so, I think a coach can look at that and say, listen, I know this is not a perfect scenario, uh, but I trust George Payton enough that he's going to do what they need to do to get the quarterback situation um, settled. And we can, we can move on from there, but we're just going to have to see. All right. Well, uh, that, uh, that, I think that about sums up everything that I, uh, that all the questions I had. So um, Nick, tell the people, the, the denizens who listen to a CSG podcast, the, there's literally tens of us, um, tell, <laughs> tell them where they can find you, where they can read you and all, all, all everything, everywhere they can find you. Yeah. Um, Twitter at Nick Cosmiter. Um, and then all of our stuff is at the athletic.com slash Broncos. Uh, obviously we have, um, you know, a ton of new stuff every day on the, uh, on the coaching search. 
and um, you know, kind of going to be your place all uh, all off season long for for all the updates on everything else we talked about. Yes, yeah, so, uh, follow Nick, uh, um, and I really do appreciate Nick when he comes on. Um, it's uh, always good to get some information uh, that is not Nuggets related on this podcast. And uh, but in general, Nick's a great guy. He's a great follow, and uh, be sure and follow him at Nick Cosmiter because uh, he's really good and he's really good at what he does. So. Uh, be sure and do that. Well, thank you, uh, Nick, for joining me. I appreciate it a lot. And uh, thank you all for listening. And I'll be back soon with another episode.